Oh, and uh, I've just been so blessed by your church. Jacob has been a great encouragement to me in our process of planting. Uh, I've known Brad for actually just two or three years, him as well, when I was associate pastor over at Blue Ridge, met with him a few times. You guys have been a great blessing to us, and I, I thank you very much, and I know that you all have been praying for us as well as a congregation. Uh, uh, God is, is working, and you all are part of that, so thank you. Um, okay, so we're going to be talking today about uh, the hard subject of suffering difficulty, challenges um, that we all experience in life, right? That is life. That's something that we all go through. Um, as was mentioned earlier, I'm in Psalm 73, so you can go ahead and turn your Bible there. And in particular, what I wanted to focus on, and I think that we get from this text, is how to process, how to emotionally and mentally process suffering when it comes in whatever form, you know, financial, health, relational, we're witnessing some massive uh, natural disasters right now. How do we process through that? And I think a lot of times the Christian world, as I've experienced it and what I've seen in, the, in, in other places, doesn't always guide us well when suffering hits. And, and I want to highlight three areas first that, that where we kind of miss it sometimes. The, the first one that you often hear from the Christian world is, is, is there's the prosperity gospel solution to it, but there's also, a, you know, a lot of sort of quasi-prosperity gospel where, in other words, something happens and there's the insinuation from other believers that, you know, if you had enough faith, that wouldn't have happened. Um, my mother-in-law, Vicki Ferris, um, is, is if I'm sure a lot of you know her or know of her, she's gone through a lot of health issues, uh, particularly from Lyme disease over the years. And as she has traveled the country with her husband, I can't tell you how many people have, who hear about her significant health issues who come up to her and, and with good intentions say, you're lacking in faith in some way. That's why you're sick. And it's incredibly insulting, uh, especially if you know someone uh, like Vicki. Completely not true. Absolutely not true. Another version that I think we hear in the Christian world is kind of the positivity uh, version. You know, like, you know, around here we have uh, WGTS, the Christian radio station. And does anybody know their, what's their tagline? Does anybody? Always positive. Positive hits. And, and I, don't, I don't know what positive hits means. Is that, I don't, is that a Christian idea? Um, and, and you get a kind of an idea of like, you hear the problem and the response that comes is, be positive. Put on a happy face. And, and really, ultimately, what they're saying is, fake it. Just, just pretend like there's no problem going on. That's the solution. And then the third one is, is it's, it's very biblical, but it's not incredibly helpful because, because it doesn't go far enough in my mind. And like, I'll give you an example of that. I was, uh, I had experienced something a number of years ago, and um, I met a brother in Christ, and it, this thing had just happened to me, and he said, hey, how you doing? And I told him how I was doing, which, you know, a lot of times in polite circles, that's not what we're really asking, right? And I started telling him, and, and he said, he, he looked at me, and he said, well, count all joy, and then walked off. And, and I was just like, okay, well... I know that James says, and you get that idea in a lot of other places in Scripture, that we should count it joy, rejoice in our sufferings. But in the moment, it didn't help me. It didn't go enough to help me in the challenge of it. And so from Psalm 73, I want us to look at how this, the example that, that he, the psalmist gives us here and how we process those challenges. I'm not going to this morning answer some of the bigger questions of why God allows things in our lives. 
We're going to look at that in other texts. But how do we process through those things, okay? So how do we get through them? Let's go ahead and jump into the text. Verses 1 through 3, Psalm 73. It says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he starts off with this introduction where he's basically laying out the problem. And the way that I would summarize the problem is, okay, I know that God is good to his people, to the people that follow him. I know that's true, but that isn't my experience. Verses 2 and 3, he's saying, I look around and I see a lot of wicked people who seem to have it really good. And I look at my life and I'm stumbling here. You see how he's got that challenge. And that's, that's the classic challenge, you know, when we face God. Here we have this all-powerful God who is all-loving. That's true. And yet, this is what I'm experiencing in my life right now. How do I resolve those two? And that's what he's saying. I don't see how that fits. I thought God was good to Israel. I thought God was good to people that followed him. That's not my experience. You know, let me give you, let me give you a little bit of an example of that, a visual. Okay, so my, my son Aslan, he's 12 years old. He is, I think, about 95 pounds. He is a rock-solid boy. Now, when a 12-year-old boy gets on a swing at the playground, what do they do? They take it to the max, right? I mean, this just like, whew, as high as he possibly can go, right? Now, let's say that I'm his dad, and I'm standing right next to him, and he's just flying back and forth, and I'm watching him and enjoying it. And then you come in with a little tiny, you know, just started walking, 12-month-old daughter, and she's just sort of stumbling along in front of you. And I watch you guys come, and she kind of gets away from you. And I watch her just walk right in front of you. I just watch. I don't do anything. I just watch right. And then here comes Aslan. Wham! Would you have some questions about me? Would you have some problems? Like, why did you, you saw my daughter walk right up, and you could have stopped her from going in front of your son. He couldn't do anything. He's on a swing but I could have done something. And I think it's a similar kind of thing with God. And that's an inner conflict that we're dealing with in our heart. You can know that God is good. And you can know that God loves you. You Romans, you know, all things work together for good to those who love God are called according to his purposes. You can know that, but in the midst, in the moment of the pain, there's gonna be that, I think you're gonna have that conflict. Of God, why would you allow this? And, I, and, and you're going to have trouble with how do I reconcile what I know about God and what I'm experiencing in my life. And that's what the psalmist is going through right now. This is where he is right now. And, and that's where I want to go with my first point. So if you're taking notes, point number one, we need to go to God as we are. Come as you are. Come as you are. We believe that about the gospel, don't we? You don't clean yourself up to go to God. Because of the work of Jesus, we can go confidently to God, right? 
You would never tell someone that's a non-believer out there that you need to get yourself cleaned up, you need to work it all out, get those problems solved, and then come to church, and then be a part of our, our congregation. That's not the way the gospel works. That truth is just as truth for the person that doesn't know Jesus as it is for you and I. We don't clean it up. We don't fix it. We need to go to God as we are. So when you're starting to feel those emotions of, God, what in the world, God, is going on here? Why would you do this? Take it to Him just as it is. Just the, the junky, awful, yucky thoughts that you're feeling and thinking and wondering, and you know, okay, theologically, what I'm thinking and feeling doesn't line up. Don't try to fix that. You're making a mistake to try to fix that in advance of going to God. Just go straight to God and look at how the psalmist does that. Keep reading. Verse 4, he's describing more of the situation. God, you're good and loving, and yet here's what's going on. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. These evil guys are no trouble. They, uh, verse 5, they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of of mankind. Verse 6, therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. They don't even attempt to hide their evil. They wear their evil like you and I wear clothes. Verse 7, their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. That's what he's seeing in terms of these evil people. No trouble, no problems. They seem to be doing just fine, God. And now he starts to talk about himself. Verse 10. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. So he's even saying, because God, you've let them get off, it makes it look like the good people are doing the wrong thing. Verse 11. And his people, the good people, say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? So even good people are starting to question God because you're allowing this. Verse 13 and 14, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence for all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. I mean, to me, that's like the biggest gut punch of them all. It's God this good life I've been following has been a complete waste of time. In vain have I kept my heart clean. If this is what it's like to be a Christian and follow you, God, it's been a waste. That's what he's saying. Verse 15, he said, If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So, He's even saying there, God, you better be thankful that I haven't shared my feelings with other people because then a bunch of other people would walk away from you, God. I mean, can you see how raw this is? It's just, doof. God, here it is. This is what I'm feeling. So come as you are. Don't try to, you know, buff out the spots and make sure those feelings are right. Take what you're feeling and just take it right to God. Come as you are. Just like the gospel, I can't clean myself up. I need Jesus to clean me up, right? We go to him with our feelings. And look at how, well, actually one more point before I go on to my, my, my next uh, point is that I think you should also realize that this is worship as well. This is actually worship. 
the, the book of Psalms is the Israelites' hymn book. These were God-inspired lyrics to worship songs they sang as a congregation. I mean, can you imagine if a, if a new artist came out with a new Christian song today and one of the lyrics was, All in vain have I kept my heart clean. The Christian life is a complete waste of time. <laughs> you know, but it's, he's, they're worshiping God. And, I believe, and the reason I think that that is worship is because it's, it's just like when you take your sin to, and you take your garbage, your sin life to Jesus. It's acknowledging that he's God. You're saying, I'm taking this to you, God, as messed up and junky as this is. I don't know how this works. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why. Any of these things, I don't know. But all I know right now is what I'm feeling. Here it is, God. Because you're God, you're sovereign, you're Lord. It's worship. Even that part is worship when you're going to him in that way, that personal kind of worship. So first of all, in gaining that right, you know, uh, how do we process through suffering and pain? Number one, come as you are. Don't fix it. I, 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 think, I think one of the main things that Satan will want to do to you in the midst of that is to keep you from going to him and to trick you into thinking that your prayers have to be just right and they have to be theologically perfect and accurate before you can go to him. It doesn't work that way. That's a lie. We go to God as we are and he resolves it. And that's where it's going next. Look at um, in our second point um, is that we need to remember that going to him is the only way for a right perspective. It's the only way for a right perspective. Let's pick up again at verse 16 and 17. But when I thought how to understand this, and again, that's that problem. When I thought, how do I resolve God's all-powerful and, and good and loving, and yet here's what I'm experiencing. When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discern their end. It starts to come together as he goes to God. So you go to God first, and then in his presence, you start to gain understanding. Until I went to God, then I gained understanding. Um, Look at verse uh, 18. And starting at verse 18, he's starting, to, he's starting to gain proper understanding. So he's gone to God's presence, right? And by the way, let me, before I jump ahead, you know, what is the sanctuary of God? The sanctuary of God in those days was, was, the, was his temple. It was where Israel gathered. It was the gathering of the people. God manifested his presence within that nation. They, would, they went to his presence to be with God. That's what we do today. That's what we're doing together as the church gathers. God and Jesus manifest his presence here together, right? So when you're in the midst of that suffering is the last time that you should say, I'm not going to church. I don't want to be a part of the church right now. I need to get this figured out and then I'll come to the church. It's in his presence. So verse 18, he starts to gain an understanding about the evil people that he's talked about. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. 
how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes, O Lord. When you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. So dreams, phantoms, it's, in other words, they seem significant to us, but next to God, they're like a dream. They're as insignificant as, as the, you know, little nightmare you might have last night. That's how they are to God. He's getting that. And he starts to get a right understanding about himself. Verse 21, when my soul was embittered, when I was in heart. So you can become bitter towards God. You know, go back to the, to the swing illustration. You know, if I allowed your little daughter, if I just stood there and let her get hit by my son, if, if there hadn't been a resolution between you and I of why would you allow that, there could be bitterness that would grow in your heart. Well, these, we can have bitterness towards God is what this text is showing us. And he's realizing as he went to God that he was, I was actually bitter towards God. He's gaining a right understanding about himself. Verse 22, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. You know, and animals are completely instinctual, right? They, they run from what's scary or dangerous and they run towards food. Um, we don't want to live our lives like that. We want to have boldness to take on hard things, not just run away from them, right? And we want to have self-control that doesn't just draw us towards the things that we want and feel like. And he's realizing, you know what? That's the way I was. I was actually living more like an animal would live. <clears throat> okay, so we process through pain and suffering by going to God. And we, we go to God first by coming as we are. We come as we are. And, that, and we need to remember that that's the only way for a right perspective. Okay, so the final point. We need to go to God because nothing in this life is better. Nothing is better. You know, more than anything for us, God wants a relationship with us. And more than anything, relationship and fellowship with God is better than anything else that we can experience in this life. It is the greatest possible thing. Jesus Christ died on a cross on my behalf. I've sinned, you've sinned, we've all sinned. Everybody has sinned and, and, and violated God and is deserving of death. My sin, as you know, many of the lyrics we sang earlier so beautifully put, is put on the cross. Jesus wore it and paid for that penalty. And, and I get the benefit of his righteousness, that great exchange. But you know, another massive thing happened at that moment. The moment that he died, the gospels tell us that the curtain in the temple ripped from top to bottom. You know, the temple had two rooms. There was an outer room that was called the holy place. And there was a massive ornate curtain then hung that divided the two rooms. And, in the, and there was an inner room called the most holy place. The most holy place was where God would actually manifest his presence to Israel and dwell within them, within them as a nation, excuse me. One day a year, the high priest would enter that room. One day a year, one man, one day a year would go into that part of the temple. I think it's an incredible symbol that the moment that Jesus died, and as we read from Hebrews earlier, that we now can enter into the presence of God. It is, in other words, the good news is not just that through the cross I'm made righteous, but that I get to now enjoy fellowship and relationship with God. I get to be in his presence. Look at where he goes, verse 23. He says, nevertheless... 
And, he's, and, and I think with that word, he's saying, okay, this problem that I'm experiencing, it may not be over. I may still be in the midst of that problem. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. See, he's talking about his life today and a hope looking forward to future. Verse 25, whom have I, ha whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Nothing is better than the presence of God. You know, we may have lots of questions that we've saved up that we're looking forward to ask God about. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him about something. The book of Job is all about suffering. Job had a lot of questions for God, didn't he? And if you're familiar with that text, you know that God actually doesn't answer Job directly. Job, it doesn't tell us that Job ever knew why. Why, God? Why did you allow this? I think that the glory of God and his presence and experiencing him is so great that you might have a list of questions, but when you see Jesus face to face, you're like, you know what? I had a bunch of questions, but... They really don't matter. It really doesn't matter. Relationship with you and seeing you face to face is the greatest possible thing there is. And we can experience him today. We get the opportunity to, to get a glimpse into that and to be with him. So I think in the midst of suffering, we have this opportunity to just go to him and don't make the mistake of trying to fix it yourself before you go to him. Come as you are. And look how the psalmist continues his resolution in the final two verses. It says, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. And again, he doesn't know when that'll happen. He just, his mind has been made right. That problem he talked about at the beginning, there's, there's resolution in his mind. And then finally, but for me... It is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. And, and I want to, as, as at the end here, co compare that final verse with our first verse. So in your Bible, have both of them nearby. He says, you know, what is, if you look at verse 1, you look at the final verse, verse 28, what does he call good? What does he call good? I think in verse 1, what is good is the benefits of being a child of God. In other words, the things that we get from God, whatever that might be. And in the final verse, what's good is being near God, being near God. So prosperity ultimately isn't the best thing. It's in His presence that's the ultimate thing. And then another question, who's doing the work? Who is the worker in verse 1 versus verse 28? In verse 1, he says, God is good to those who are pure in heart. In other words, the psalmist is the one who's done a good job. The psalmist is the one who has obeyed God. And in the final verse, he says, I want to be near you. I want to be in your refuge so that I can tell others about your works. God is the one who does the work.
And then the final observation I want to make is even compare the word God. If you see there where it says in verse 28, it says, I have made the Lord God my refuge. And you notice if in your Bible, in the ESV anyway, it, it uh, capitalizes G-O-D. And that's to tell us, English readers, that that's actually Yahweh. The, the, the translators are saying the Hebrew word here is Yahweh. And in most places, you see Lord as the English word that's translated. So Lord will be capitalized. But the Hebrew here has Lord in it. So instead of saying Lord, Lord, it says Lord God. And it tells you that he's talking about Yahweh. In the first verse, he's using a more generic Hebrew word to refer, refer to God. He's still talking about God. And I think, the, the, in my opinion, the Hebrew word in verse 1 is very similar to the English word for God. Right? G-O-D. When we say God and talk about God here, we all know we're talking about our sovereign Lord, right? Because we hear the context, we know what that means. But we can also use the word G-O-D and mean we're talking about Baal or we're talking about some other God or Buddhist or whatever, right? The context matters there when we use G-O-D. Yahweh is God's personal covenant relationship name. So the psalmist has moved from the God of the universe to my relationship God, the God who loves me, who has covenanted with me. And I think that's another important contrast when you put it all together, that, that God isn't just the, you know, the sugar daddy in the sky um, who's supposed to give me prosperity when I do what I'm supposed to do, who's supposed to come down and judge the people and knock out the people that don't do what they're supposed to do. He's, he's Yahweh. He's made a covenant with us. He has promised us to never forsake us, to always love us, to always, you know, he died for us. I mean, it's, it's just endless, right? It's endless. But I hope you see that contrast of where the psalmist has gone. And I think it's all because he went to God. He went to God with where he was and what he had. So what are you suffering what are you in right now that you might be dealing with? You know, do you have a deep down conflict? Deep down, even though, again, you know what's right, but in your heart you're struggling with, God, why would you allow this and what's going on? Perhaps you're thinking like the psalmist did, all in vain have I kept my heart clean. Come as you are to God. Remember that it is the only way for a right perspective. And know that there is nothing better than being in relationship with Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, and how you can encourage us through it. And how you reveal yourself through it. Lord, we desire to... To, to know you more and more through your word and to, gr and to grow closer and closer to you, God. We want to experience you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, um, um, to put aside other things that might be drawing us away, Lord, that, that are causing us to stumble, things that we desire more than you, perhaps. Lord, help us to, in faith to just come to you, God. Lord, you, you know... Uh, our hearts, you know our minds and our thoughts better than we even know our minds and hearts, Lord. So let us, as little children, just come to you, God. 
just come straight to you with whatever it might be in our hearts that we're dealing with right now, God. And help us to be reminded that in your presence and in relationship with you, God, there is absolutely nothing better that we could have, God. You are not just the, the sugar daddy in the sky. You are Yahweh. You are sovereign Lord. And you are our God. And we are your people. You love us. You care for us. Thank you, God. And in your name we pray for Jesus' glory. Amen.